Just sit back and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip that started from Deep Space Nine aboard a tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man. The skipper, brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day. Actually, it was three. For a three-hour tour to the Gamma Quadrant. Yes! It is Season 4, Episode 9, The Sword of Kalos. I am your host, Jeff Mater. Here with another edition of Deep Space Nine at Niners. Joined, as always, by my level, lovely set of guests. We have my brother right here. Right there. Hello. Skipper 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the ship is <laughs> ground on the shore of this uncharted Gamma Quadrant planet with Worf and Kor, the Skipper 2, Jadzia 2, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor. The, you get the point. We get it. You know, and, and you're responding to a comment we had here from Sam, who's a, a big fan of our Big Brother and Survivor podcast, saying he's calling for the Gilligan's Islands. If we did it, we'd, it would be over on Super Mater Brothers. It wouldn't be on, on Live Long, a podcast. But we appreciate the suggestion, and our dad would love it. So we'll we float that idea by him. No phone, no lights, no motor car, not a single luxury, not even Jamil Robinson. Crusoe, uh, I don't even know how to say that. Crusoe. I don't know. Caruso. I don't understand. Caruso. 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 I don't understand these lyrics. I didn't watch this show, but I did watch this show. <laughs> and this <Right>. is <laughs> this is season four, episode nine of Tuesday's Nine. The Sword of Kalis. Kalesh, actually. Kalesh. I am Takufma. Takufma. <laughs> we do not desire to know you, but you will know us standing as one. That's my that's my Takufma impression. To think that Kalish once held this battle of himself. And I think Dave might have the sword of Kalish right above him. Um, uh, it's not well. It's, it's got a few less spikes, but yes, it's a it, that is a battleff up there. I do have uh, um, just to bring up the hey, David forged the first empire. I mean, but that's that's what the sword of Kalis looks like right there. Um, you know, right before they beam it into space. Okay, so spoilers. spoilers. But basically, this is um, this is like a long lost uncle taking you on like a road trip telling you telling you all about you know how you're not really part of the family but you are and you're trying to show the way that's kind of what this episode reminds me of and Worf has kind of got to balance his his klingonness and his starfleet duty which is always kind of the case with Worf. and in this episode it's it's amplified to 211 uh no uh sam this this is deep space nine at nine ish this is where we cover all the episodes of deep space nine and we are on season four episode nine yes that's right and we but we are covering the core is from the original series which i think is actually quite interesting if you were a fan of the 60s uh dave and kevin and ashley have been covering the original series over on monday nights uh, with guys, Jody Simpson and Adam and and Dad and Jody yeah. Simpson and Adam and Dad, give us a little background of Core because this episode brings us a lot of Core. So we'll start with you, Dave. Yeah, Core. He's one of the, he's one of the few uh, original series Klingons that um, they brought back for D Space Nine. They uh, you know in in his episode that's the um, where the, there's the Treaty of Organia uh, and. 
Kirk and Spock are sort of like they're there. They're there right when uh, war is about to break out between the Klingon Empire on Organia and the Federation, and they kind of pretend to be Organians for a while. And Kor is kind of like this military governor of Organia until they figure out the Organians are actually like this super advanced species that forces the Federation to sign a peace treaty. Uh, so he's very much a villain in his original appearance, but they, they do say in that episode that one the Organians tell Kirk and Kor that one day the Federation and the Klingon Empire will become friends, uh, which is what they do uh, realize in, in Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. And then in season three, Kor was part of that whole Blood Oath episode where um, you know they brought back Koloth and Kang, who Kor can't shut up about in this episode. Uh, he, he references them constantly. And... Um, it was interesting. I think an interesting choice to you know bring him back again here because they, he, they, he doesn't get killed in that episode. He's the survivor of that episode, and and uh, to pair him up with Worf here was an interesting. Although, um, I know you didn't ask me this, but I'm just gonna tell you uh, I, um, that are these details um, detailed by with the, from dis- Dave discovered by Dave. Well, I think it's just interesting that this is like after Way of the Warrior, which is Worf's like intro into D Space Nine. This is really the first focused <laughs> episode on him since then. We're about nine well, nine episodes into the season, so um, I don't know if it's my favorite Worf focused episode on D Space. Maybe it's my, one of my least favorites in some ways, but I think um, yeah, that's who Core is. He was like this antagonist, sort of anti hero character that uh they 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 established all this other backstory with the dax character that occurs on dax new core 80 years ago and they fought side by side and they're good friends right so that's core and his failing is he gets drunk and he falls down a lot okay all right our bajoran workers we'll we'll head it on over to you kevin and ashley millard what do you guys make of this uh core coming back uh, as dave alluded to do you enjoy the relationship that he has with Worf? He kind of is kind of a jerk to to Worf almost throughout the episode. Uh, I I don't I don't think so. Um, I like uh, I I do like Core. I always like when he's on any of these these episodes. Um, I like I I do like the 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 way they meet where Worf is Worf is not often shy so i like that that it, it shows the respect for core and the 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 admiration which sets up the whole episode um i don't i don't yeah i i i like it i like uh i like these episodes okay all right uh, ashley um do do okay what i meant by kind of what core looks at Worf. He kind of, he calls him a pariah at one point, I believe. He calls, you know, he he says uh, he should have killed a young boy, you know, out of honor. And, like, dude, dude, he is kind of hard on Worf. And it's, it's Worf's timidness that Kevin's alluding to that I think is why he's, that's the real reason to me why he is hard on Worf. Do you kind of see it that way? Um, I think anytime a Klingon comes in, they're kind of, they're kind of a dick to Worf. Like that's just always seems to be every time a Klingon comes in, they're not very nice to Worf, and and we get used to Worf and Worf's Klingonness. But then when other Klingons come in, you kind of see that Worf has like a stick up his butt for a Klingon, like he right. is a little over the top. And I think that's 
I think Cora likes him, but his big problem is he's just like, you're too serious. Like you need to relax and him. He, when he was joking around with him in quarks, that was just core. That was just core being core. Okay. Um, Jamil, when we look at core and like this, yeah, this opening scene here, uh, where he, he's, he kind of plays to Worf's um, motivations where he says, you know, let's go on this adventure. It will annoy, uh Gowron, and right and he also says you know wolf don't go looking for the sword of chaos or it will be your biggest regret you know uh that, that's at least how i look at it. How Gowron, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um my question for you jameel is do you kind of all right. Do you, what are the motivations, both from Worf's point of view here to find the sword of Kalis, and from Kor's point of view to find the sword of Kalis? Do well, they are they are they linked or are they different? Um, well, they're in alignment. Um, Worf being this this outsider being brought into this what seems to be a very grand and important journey being part of the stories that he loves to hear that he's drawn to he like he's like yes yes i will join your your journey i will be on this quest for glory um for the empire it's for duty it, it there's multiple motivations um co-mixing um um, to motivate um, Worf to be a part of this, and Core, like Core loves a, a captive audience, and Worf is like buying all of his bullshit, like uh, sink. Uh, was it the uh, fish line and sinker? So hook, uh, hook. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I think I, mean, you, you I don't it. know if fish line is wrong, but it it doesn't sound right. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> You're just welcome. cut my legs no, underneath me. Anytime, my, my, anytime. my ramblings. Okay, Jeff, I'm but done. what I'm done, Jeff. What, I'm, what I was trying to say was it seems like from this opening scene, especially, that Core wants to do this because it's one last chance at glory and to be remembered. And he is he is smart enough to play to Worf's motivations of almost like revenge or show, showmanship of to sh- kind of shove it in gowan's face like look you've disrespected me you've taken my honor my house and you've you know this this, you know he's trying to say to him like we both have the same motivations but i don't think they do i think like core is coming at it from a point of view of uh i'm an old man and i haven't done anything with my life and this is i just need to find that one thing and this is the one thing which seems like kind of a lost cause uh, and kind of a crazy idea, but Worf, he's playing to Worf because he needs Worf to be able to go do this. Dave, do you kind of see what I'm saying? No. Um, he, he, uh, he needs Dax for this mission. I think Worf was like kind of a bonus in terms of like getting an extra, like somebody to come along. I think he's, I think he's, 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 um, he just kind of rolls with it. You know, he's like, sure, Worf, you don't like Gowron? Yeah. Cool. I don't like Gowron either. So you're cool with me. Kor doesn't ask him to come along. He asks Kor if he can join him. Right, right. But but why why give him the whole story? Why give him the whole spiel about Gowron? Why do that? Because he likes telling stories. He he, he love. That's it. He just loves 
he's this I think he, personality. I think he's also trying to put Worf at ease here because he knows that Worf's like, are you going to hate me because I've been I've been outcasted? I've been like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, and he's like, nope, I don't. I don't just because the high council says you suck doesn't mean I think so. Right. Automatically, at least, um, you know, and he goes for a Dahar master who wants to get a statue in the Hall of Heroes or whatever. He he doesn't seem to be very friendly with the current administration. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, you know, and you get the impression that Cord also was not for the invasion of Cardassia. Do you get that impression in this episode? I'm not sure yes. if I do. I don't think he cares. He says that the emperor opposed it, and uh, but it didn't. No one cared. When yeah. the, who is and the emperor is just the clone of Kalis, who we met in Star Trek: The Next Generation. I, I think Core is is at this moment anyway, just more obsessed with Core. Like he's obsessed with his own glory, the stories that'll be told by about him. That that's more what he's about. He's he's done with the politics of being a Klingon. Jeremy saying Space Nine is one of his favorites after TOS. Well, lucky for you, Jeremy, we covered both here on, on Live Long and Podcast. So, so you guys just come for the perspective that Core is a guy that likes to have a good time, and he was kind of sees Worf as a guy with something up his butt, and he was trying to get him to lighten up. And he only ever needed Dax to go on this mission, and he had no interest in trying to get Worf to come with him. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I disagree with you guys. <laughs> I think he wanted Worf to come on this mission right from the beginning, and it wasn't portrayed that way to the audience. But I think why? Why say why say all these things to him and to see the look on Gowron's face and all this stuff? It makes no sense if, if he didn't want him to come or didn't need him, you know. But he only says that stuff after Worf asks if he can come. Right, but he, he it wasn't like he was saying any of the stuff to Dax. You know what I mean? Like he he yes, you're right. He likes to tell stories, but at the same time, he, I think he wanted Worf to come. But before Worf was coming, it wasn't about um it wasn't about sticking it to Galron. That right. was kind that was kind of the bonus. Once Worf was there, he saw that as an added bonus. That it would also stick it to Gowron. I think Dax vouching for Worf is also a part of this. Right. That, that's yeah. kind of where I'm getting at, Dave. Is like Dax introduces him to Core, and it's like this whole thing is like, yes, he didn't need Worf to come, but I think he knew that they needed Worf to come. And I think Dax kind of knew it too. I think they needed that extra, they needed some muscle. Like it's it's a it's a woman and an old man. Going why on not this take the whole defiant on this mission. Like, why? Yes, you know? yes, yes, Dave. Thank you. We're making well, medical then, trips for with the defiant. We can't do a little thing for the the sort of uh, Kalis. Is it um, smart to take just a runabout into the Gamma Quadrant again? Though they didn't realize they were going to run into trouble. Of course, I mean they don't know they're on the show, but <laughs> they, they they just thought they were going to retrieve a knife or a, a sword. Like they didn't know this was going to turn into like a mission. Okay, so can we talk about since you're bringing this up? Can we talk about the scene with Cisco where they talk about this Vulcan uh, survey ship found this evidence that they bury the lead. He was shaving with a cube. Well, I'm okay. 
Dave, what do you think about him shaving? That was so cool. I thought that was the coolest thing when, like, I saw that the first time. Every time I see it, I'm like, is that how you shave? It's just like this block you have to, like, just, you know, put against your skin. How come he gets to shave like this, but then Tuvok is blind on Voyager and he's doing the straight razor? What's that all about? That's Tuvok. That's how he rolls. That's Vulcan's. Yeah, it's it's Vulcan discipline. Yeah. (laughs) Steady hand. Steady hand. It's like Calto. I can I can buy that. I mean, I don't see Cisco being the disciplined type when it comes to shaving. Jeremy's saying taking the Defiant would have created too many questions. For who? Who would have asked those questions? And and Jeff, I don't know, possibly the Dominion, <laughs> possibly yeah. the, the Klingon Empire. Uh, Jeff, um, just imagine Cisco with a razor. It's like jazz, and you know, just start oh. moving around. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to look like Heath Ledger's Joker. Okay, so they kind of go both Dax and Worf and go, look, we got all this evidence. It's, you know, core kind of brought it to us here. But like, yeah, these Vulcans found some interesting things uh, about what the Klingons are saying uh, about the Herc and over a thousand years ago and this actually might have been where the sword of Kalis went and you know we got all the exposition from Worf about how his people have been searching for it ever since and um you know i don't know i just feel like cisco's like what what do you want to do okay go i don't care uh he was like so this could oh this could patch things up with the klingon emperor sure go for it i guess i'll give you a runabout if you the real um, grand specifically. Yeah, the one that makes it to the end, the one that survived the whole show. Um, so you tell me that Worf knew? Yeah, maybe. Uh, he's like, well, at least we won't die on that one. We know we'll that. We'll take that one. Cisco, <laughs> yeah, where's we'll, my starship? <laughs> yeah. We'll take the run of yeah, we'll take the real grand. Don't I don't want any of those other ones. They blow up. I don't uh, you know, I can't remember the rest of them. Uh they all yeah, they all do blow up. But yeah, like I think oh Jeff the Herc, don't you find that interesting that the Klingons were conquered a thousand years ago? Yeah, a little bit, but at the same time, like we don't really know a lot about the, the Klingons. And every time like we retcon it, we end up getting what Discovery did to the Klingons, and I don't really want to go there. Um what? What do you mean what? What is that? Why does this retcon them? So you're referring to it as canon, Jeff? Is that what you're saying? I I, I don't even want to go there because <laughs> the canon, non-canon thing, the, we didn't hear about the Herc until this episode, Dave, so it wasn't canon until this episode. But now it is. That could be said of everything. <laughs> true. Because they true. didn't think of it up in the 60s? Like, they, it doesn't count? That's right. Well, it was never mentioned before, and uh, this is okay. only 1995. Like it's like Star Trek hasn't been around that long. Like they can add this detail, right? Right. I don't know. I'm just I've I have bad memories. This is what I'm trying to say. I'm traumatized, Dave. With, by discovery? By al- yes, by albino Klingons. I don't know what's going there was on. No albino Klingons in this episode. Um, only only uh, Toral, son of Duras. Right. Um. Okay, the Herc. I don't know. I, I'm sure they have history, and they don't really explain a lot about it. It's just basically, yeah, they were conquered, and that's kind of. And they like, left. They left, and that's what broke up the empire at that time with Kalish, and you know. But y- did like it, it does um, like lend to some interesting theories. Like, did the Klingons even invent warp travel for themselves, or did they just take it from the Herc? 
I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the if the Klingons were like the Ferengi, and instead of buying their way to warp drive, it was more like they slit some throats and got the warp drive. Yeah, because yeah. they don't seem like scientists, right? No. Have you ever seen a Klingon scientist or a Klingon science vessel? Never. Sometimes, but Never. Like there, there was like the one in that episode with Doctor Crusher, and no one liked him. Even Worf is like in Starfleet, and I feel like if you were like, "Hey, figure out this problem with like quantum mechanics," he'd be like, "Ah," you know, he would just get angry, you know. Smack like, the console. He's like the Hulk of Star Trek. Yeah, Jeremy's just pointing out the Zindi weren't canon until Enterprise, Jeff. Ooh. Wait, I mean, look, don't agree with Dave when it comes to canon, Jeremy. I, I, I we we have What's a hard enough agree time. with. What do you have to agree with? I don't understand. It's it is canon. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter. What of course it matters. It doesn't matter what your canon is. It doesn't matter. Okay. I don't even understand <laughs> Jamil's position that canon doesn't matter. Like, what do you mean? It the doesn't discussion matter? as to whether it's canon or not is almost as boring as Babylon Five. Like, <laughs> I think it's more, more so. At least Babylon Five had some good stories. Okay, to tell. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna solve this this canon issue, Dave, for you. My my position. Canon is important for whatever story you're trying to tell right at the moment. Right. You need to make sure that canon, there's enough canon for people to understand the story that you're trying to tell and the universe that it's in, but you, yep. you cannot make it bog you down and hinder you from being able to tell your story. If you if you do that, then the canon is too much and you need to disregard it. Otherwise, you're going to paint yourself in a box and you won't be able to move forward. I reject yeah, that notion. It's um, <laughs> I, 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 I think you can tell stories while staying within the box that's been created unless it's like I think there can be exceptions or retcons. But generally, like, you know, like when they did like Star Trek Picard. Right. And they were like, these are the first Romulans that were ever assimilated, even though they had shown an assimilated Romulan in Voyager. Yeah. It's dumb. It pisses off fans like me when they do that kind of stuff. It didn't make the story better. It didn't make anything better in that in that in that version. Like it was just like lazy writing. It, all, it only pisses you off, Dave, because you know you've seen that episode of Voyager. Most people watching that episode are going, "Okay, great," but it didn't serve. The, it didn't that 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 choice didn't serve the story. It, they felt it did. And... So one writer years ago. Right, has to paint you in a corner where you're like, well, I can't put this detail that I wrote in my script. Sorry, it's it's against the canon because it was mentioned this one specific. It doesn't time. even make sense. Why would the why would only one Romulan ship have ever been assimilated in all of that? We already know in the neutral zone that they had been attacked in the neutral zone in the first season of Next Generation. You you can't selectively choose what canon you get upset with, though, Dave, and which canon you don't because. What, what you know a lot of people go well that's forgivable i mean it was season two and they didn't figure out the uniforms yet or they didn't figure out this part yet you know and, and so when they write a picard episode or whatever it's forgivable i mean you just come up with your own explanation in your head well that romulan ship went through the the wormhole or got blown across when it was in the Bandlands one time and it went halfway across the universe it nobody ever knew it depends on you know? what the example is i i think that like you know i'm choosing I am I, I'm getting somewhat because I think that like some some of things are more d distracting uh, to an audience member, me, a fan, me, than you know. And maybe it's my issue, but I think like having canon is good because 
it establishes the world. It establishes the rules. If like every writer that comes along says, I just want to tell a new story and I don't give a fuck what they did last week, then you don't have no cohesive show. You don't have have any cohesive show. Understand what I said. I, they, there's enough canon to build up your universe that you can work within, but at the same time, you cannot get bogged down with tons of canon with every specific <laughs> specific thing, with every specific element. You're telling me that elements from Picard has to impact Discovery? You might as well just just end the show right now because... Why? Like, because Picard is digging a hole. <laughs> right? It's, it's all a- in Star Trek universe. It's all in Star Trek world. Um, yes, so- and Q can snap it away, and all of what happened in Picard could not happen. Could just yes. disappear and just be go. a story that that didn't. Ha- but it's canon. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can guess what you can write your way into a, a you, getting everything you want if you're a writer. You can write yourself into an alternate timeline. You can write yourself into an alternate dimension. Fine, just do it. Okay, all right, moving on. Um, we, I think we've had our fill. I think we had our our conversation there, and I think we're we're ready to talk about their, you know, the the, the trio here. We have Core, we have Dax, and we have Worf. And they're all going to the Gamma Quadrant to find where the Herc took all their treasures and you know it's time for them to be put their rightful place of glory uh which I never understand I don't get the Klingon sometimes like they don't like they, they they're much more interested in finding a dumb sword than they are in like making their life better for their people like can we, like, can we just talk about like the Klingons as a race in general like they're they're often sure. admired by everybody as far but they're never criticized and i feel like they should be because like i feel like they're highly illogical like compared to the vulcans and it's funny that they bring up the vulcans in this episode but like they are like literally like counterproductive of like what they should do the romantics they're romantics yes they they're hopelessly romantic though do, do kevin and ashley i i, I do, do you see what i'm saying yes <laughs> yeah um I, 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 and, and to bring it down to even a smaller level, we all love Worf, but he's kind of a garbage person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Especially a parent. He's a garbage parent. But he, well, in this episode, he also, I don't think he tries to kill Kor, but I think he's like, bah, if he dies, you know, that would be easy. Like, he's trying to convince him to let go. I know I'm jumping way ahead, but right. he, 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 he makes some questionable choices in almost every episode. He does. And sometimes it's like about glory and honor and it's not logical at all. And uh, glory. And, and it, and, and it's sometimes it, like, like they even mentioned in this episode before with the whole thing I kind of brought up earlier about like how they talk, like core gives him a hard time about how he should have uh, killed a kid who I forget what it was. He tried to, he tried to hurt Worf or something. What? No, oh, like, that was the, oh, the, yeah, Duras. Yeah, son of Duras. Remember, remember, like the whole Klingon civil war, and at the end of that, Worf gets his family honor back, uh, just to be stripped of it by Gowron a couple of years later. Um, but uh, he gets like because you know his family was framed by the Duras family, so he had the right to kill uh, this guy who was Toral, who we see later on, uh, who looks like this, uh, played by a different actor. Yeah. Um. In 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 this episode, but it's yeah, still, he, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, that they, they got a new actor. No, I mean the the it's not good canon. Still dumb. He's still dumb. No, it's consistent. <laughs> he's dumb in the next generation, and then yeah. we see him grown up, and he's still a dummy. Yeah, the Duras sisters didn't have much time for him at the time. They kind of like yeah. never bothered with him. Um, yeah, but he's he does live through this episode, right? He does survive, keep going. Uh, I don't think they ever established that. He was definitely knocked out. Yeah, I, I don't think we... I think so. Is he is is he he's the one that she points the phaser at, right? At the end, I, maybe. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, because yeah. then she says, "Tell me about the Klingon jamming signal." Oh, no, you know, it says here in the synopsis. Yeah, it was Terrell that she yeah. puts up yeah. the phaser. So I would assume he survived. She wouldn't have just murdered him. Yeah, he had been stabbed no. by that point, but he was not. He was wounded, not dead. She's yeah. a good guy. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, they break into this like the the vault of the Herc or whatever where all these treasures are, and that's yeah when the son of Duras shows up, and that's they find the sword, but they have some un, unexpected company, and that's yeah when Toral and the the son of Duras shows up, and he's like, "Good to see you, Worf. Seems you were too drunk to remember me on the uh, tavern." Uh, he says, says that the core says that yeah. the core, and he also says, you know. Do you regret sparing my life because Core gives him a hard time? This is what I was referring to about sparing yeah. his life, and says basically the humans have had too much of an effect on you. You should be more cutthroat. You should be more of a garbage person, Worf. And, and, and uh, both Dax and Worf are kind of like, no, like we did the right thing. You don't just murder for murder's sake because. But, but at the same time, like if we remember the canon about what happened. Right, is he wanted to leave him without honor alive as his punishment? It wasn't like I'm just gonna kill the dude straight up. It's like, no, bitch, you're gonna get no honor, you have no house, and you're gonna just rot like that. Yeah, live what I've been living. Yeah, it was payback. It was, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Dave, yeah, again, to my question about the Klingons being kind of garbage people, yeah. Am I right? Because I feel like a lot of times they're like, especially by Picard and Dax and a lot of these different characters, they're, they, they're revealed. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, they, they, they kind of put them on a pedestal and they're terrible people. Like, they're immoral. Yeah, like I, I think that there's uh, there's some differing opinions on Klingons. I don't think that it's uh, there's one opinion of them in the galaxy. I think you, Quark kind of alludes to it in the beginning of the episode. He's like, these Klingon stories suck. Everyone dies and murders and you know whatever. Yes. And this is not nobody fun. ever makes profit. What makes any money? Like what the hell? You know. And but I think like you know it's just kind of like these great old warrior storylines. I think the Klingons, as time has gone on, uh, I think are becoming less and less like sort of, um, I don't know, identifiable for an audience maybe because they're they're, they're kind of based on like vikings and samurais and kind of a way of life that doesn't exist on earth anymore really uh but was very prevalent for centuries and so when they were they were imagined i think that um you know that space is sort of like a dangerous place where you know you might there's pirates and there's ships and there's pillagers everywhere and the klingons are among them and uh and yeah like i think a lot of them are bad and some of them are good and i think that Dax, um, in particular, Curzon Dax had to find an appreciation for them to make peace, right? Because I think before that, the Klingon, the Federation flat out rejected them. 
right? They said, no, you like Kirk says in a lot of those episodes where the Klingons show up, he's like, they right. they invade planets, they, they enslave people, they kill, they install kill my boy, they kill my boy. I can never don't believe them, they did. Don't, don't trust them, trust them. <laughs> yeah, we also know that the Klingons have changed because. Or they say, like, if or Worf says, if my people go back to the old ways, then they'll start conquering planets again and and whatever. Yes. So peace people. with the Federation kind of brought a new way of life, but that also caused conflict with the Klingons where they invaded Cardassia yeah. is sort of like, we've been doing this peace stuff for too long. Time to have a war. Well, I feel yeah. like, especially in Deep Space Nine, if we're going to talk about the Klingons, I feel like, yeah, the peace treaty really it forced the Klingons to direct their need to be warriors in, like, they kind of, like, compartmentalized it, especially later on, and we're going to get to it, but toward the Dominion, where, like, they, they would show up out of nowhere, decloak, and blow up a couple Gemini ships and be like... <laughs> You may continue your work, you know, back to glory, you know, and it was just like it was kind of like, you know, drug addicts where they're like, you know, OK, you can you can do heroin twice a year. OK, you can't do it all the time, but you can do it twice a year when we tell you. How's that? OK, OK. <laughs> I don't know if I follow that, that metaphor, but. uh but yeah, I like Jeff, I think the Klingons are I think I think you're right to you you would be right as much to admire them as much as to despise them. Specifically the Klingon Empire uh as a as a as a like a state. Well, I think you made a great comparison, Dave, when you compare them to Vikings. Because if you like if you watch the show Vikings, for instance, and I know it's a little bit fictionalized, but like like they're terrible people. Mm -hmm. You know, but they have a certain set of culture and a certain set of ways of doing things when they kill a code, like, a code like, yeah, like there's a, a, a C, uh, an episode of the of Vikings where they they kill a guy with like it's called like the broken eagle or something. Then they literally tear the guy's whole back apart and like break his back like and like but it's like uh, it's it's um thought of as a great way to die, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and, right. and, and like this is kind of like what the Klingons are based off. Actually, I think more than anything, a lot of people do compare them to Russians and to samurai. But I think the Vikings is actually the most apt uh, analogy for them because um, they, they are. It's almost like it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it's it's it, it's it's illogical like, to do what they They're do. They're not Vulcans, even though Kor was the ambassador to Vulcan. In its core, it's a death cult. They. <laughs> Right. They, they, it's all about the the best way to die. Life is all about the best way to die. Right, right. Which is kind of what I was just saying with the Vikings. Like, yeah, yeah, if you die on a raid, what a great way to go. It's <laughs> interesting know? to me too that Klingons are longer lived than humans, but are happy to die as soon as they get a chance to. <laughs> right. Yeah. As long yeah. as it's honorable. As long as yeah. it's honorable in battle, you know, during a raid. These these are great ways to go. And you don't want to don't make it to old age, but it doesn't matter to them if they die early. If they die honorable, they'll live on forever through stories and song. Right, right, and they say that in this episode. Think of the songs they will sing, the statues yeah. they will erect. Again, when Kor is kind of trying to play to Worf uh, about why this mission would be important, it's all about yeah, like it's all about glory and all these things about to go find this piece of metal. Um, again makes i kind of wish we had a character in some of these klingon episodes like yes you said we had a quark but like a, like a vulcan or a quark or be like what the hell is going on why are we doing this this makes no sense you know we're risking our life for something that is like 
it's only it's important to you guys, but only because of song, song and story and 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 culture, and and it really makes no sense as far as practicality. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Anyway, you, you did get that a bit from Cisco in Blood Oath. <laughs> Right. Yes. And that's a great comparison, Ashley, because yeah, in that in this, Cisco's way more cool. He's more like, all right, I get it. You want to go like find this cool artifact and you know what? I can't really complain because I'm in future seasons gonna be like the Bajorans and the things with the Bajorans. We have to go find this thing. It's there. I know it's there and it's real. You know? We're gonna get that from Cisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine uh, I imagine the Klingon homeworld though is just full of statues, much like like they're all over, just like Tribbles, just statues everywhere on the Klingon homeworld. So it's like USA. Yeah. Yes, it's like going to Washington D.C. It's like what we got a building just for Jefferson. Okay, right. <laughs> take me to the Lincoln Building. Oh, there's a Lincoln Building. Get you out the Lincoln Building. Yeah. Um. Okay. What do we got? All right. What do you guys, uh, Dave? I'm gonna ask you about the the whole scene where they're cooking. Like, I think they're cooking uh, t- uh, lunch. Cave rat. It's a cave rat. It's a cave rat. And you know, what do you make of the scene? Because they're, they're all kind of digging it. And I think if any other character was there other than Dax, Worf, and Kor, like I kind of wish we had a Bashir on this mission. Like I, I really do, because uh, I want to see a character that's not into the Klingon culture. There, yeah, maybe Kira, Kira, any of them. I don't really, any one of them. O'Brien set up up traps in the cave, yeah. Um, I think I like, yeah, like it was okay. The whole thing with the the, when they caught the the cave rat and then they cooked it, and this is like where Worf and um, and uh, is it where Worf and Core really start to to feud, or I guess it was maybe the scene before it where he first told them who Toral was. And then they have this. And so, like, you know, and Dax and him are, like, joking about, oh, and we ran into a cave rat, and it had fangs and eyes, and it came at us, and, like, we're going to have to, like, embellish this part of the story. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Dax is fine with it, right? But, you know, like, this is kind of why, like, like Worf, yeah, he's, he's Mr. Klingon and all these things, but he's also, like, super uptight, even for a Klingon. You know, and um, he's he, he's just got a you know, and so there he's just like I don't like this guy. He drinks too much and he makes shit up. And no, what, no. What, see what the what his problem with him is, Dave. I think is is kind of his problem. With what I've been alluding to with Klingon culture, where it's like okay to exaggerate and boast about ridiculous things. You know, I, I, I let's Jamil. Yeah, I'll take it over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. I, I, I was just kind of waiting to be tagged in concerning this one. Um, yeah. Do you kind of see what I'm saying? Like, I, I agree with Worf. Yeah. Just imagine you, you meet your favorite um, poet, right? Mm-hmm. And you've read about this great love of his, right? And it, it's moved you. And then you find out that it was just Major Kira as a hooker in that one episode Right, and he liked her, and he just embellished this love affair. Right, a part of the spell is broken. Part of what you loved about was the idea of this existing, the glory and the honor that you spoke so well about is just exaggerations and boasts. All right, and of meaningless events. Right, you're you're making this this epic battle out of 
um, basically sneaking up on a rat and eating it for dinner, like that that goes against a lot of what Worf believes in and what he he still believes in in terms of Klingon culture. So of course he would reject it. Of course he would he would uh, be angry at Kor because he's uh, opposition to what he believes. And Kor seems to have this opinion of Worf, kind of what Dave is alluding to, that he's this uptight, uh, doesn't understand Klingon values, is only uh, concerned with aristocrat ideals and handing this sword over to Gowron and getting all his praise. And then Worf kind of comes back at him and is like, look, you're going to get your statue. You're going to get your songs. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because it's right. It's the right thing for me to do, which is also kind of misguided. But... It is. It, he's coming at it. I think more from an ideal, like I get kind of. I understand Worf's motivations more. And so, Kevin and Ashley, do you kind of? What do you make of this argument? And what do you make of you know Jamil and I's and Dave's analysis so far? Kor is not the first Klingon and won't be the last Klingon to embellish a story. And if Worf had spent more time with Klingons, then he would know that that's just what Klingons do. And I think other Klingons, when they hear these stories, know that they're like 60% bullshit, but still enjoy the stories. Yeah, I think Worf is a literalist. And so if if this, if this if this hero of his is embellishing, it calls into question everything he believes. Right. Yes. So it's it's going to be really hard and, for And Worf. there has has have been other Klingons other than Kor that have told Worf to calm down, <laughs> relax a little, and have some fun because that's the Klingon way. It was a good meme. In the history of telling your significant other to calm down, it has <laughs> never worked out. <laughs> he tries it all the time. It's not, it's, it's Just not calm working. down. He's like, never works. It's all good. I'm like, is it? <laughs> i think that's kind of what's going on here is i mean i think at the end of the day your significant other you know is kind of your hero and then when you hear when you meet like a hero that's more of like a a cultural hero or social hero like if you had met you know john lennon or something for me and i i find out john lennon was kind of a shit parent which he was especially to julian <laughs> I'd be like, I'd look at him different, you know? I'd be like, oh, man, he's kind of a shit parent. He's kind of a shit dude in that way, you know? Uh, you know, but it's hard It's hard to compartmentalize those things because a lot of times when you hear stories and embellishment, you only think the good things. And you don't really get to see the person for who they really are. And I think that is kind of what more struggling with is his naivete um, toward even not only Klingon culture, but also the way he looks at Klingon culture and the heroes. Right. And I think that, I think D Space Nine did a great job of filling in a lot more on Worf's backstory, which was a, very much established in Next Gen. But like they continue going with it, especially his conversations with Jed Zier throughout these, like this season and next season, uh, where he talks about growing up on Earth and how isolating he was and how he was too Klingon to be human. But to human, like, could never really fit in back with their society because he became, I don't know, like, who, who would have worked become if, like, you know, his parents hadn't been killed on Kittimer and he had grown up just fully Klingon? Would he be basically the same person or would he not be? It's hard. We, well, we, it's <laughs> oh, excuse me. You know, um, I don't know. Like, he wouldn't be so reserved. I mean, no. he explains that in a later episode. 
uh, why right. he is so why he is this way yeah. because he 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 had hurt that kid i don't know did he kill him? he killed him he killed he was playing really? soccer with somebody he headbutted somebody in like in a soccer match and he killed yeah. him because you know his skull is much stronger than a human because he because he did let go and have fun and and got overexcited it, it well, wasn't out of malice it was just over excitement yeah he com competitiveness because he yeah. was competing against like this rival team or guy and and uh he really he had to remember he had to be reminded that i'm a klingon and i'm a lot stronger than humans and i you know to live among you i have to be restrained i have to hold back um is what he told himself at like 13. So, so I think if he was born and, or he obviously was born Klingon, if he was raised on, on, uh, in Klingon society, he definitely wouldn't be the wharf he is now. Right. But he also, like, he also brings up a lot, like, it's a nature versus urge, uh, nurture argument, but he also talks about, like, his nature of kind of being a Klingon and, believing in Klingon ideas, especially Kalos. That's why this mission is so important. And he, he keeps talking about the spirit of Kalos and how it guided him. And, and he now knows like what he needed to do. It was to lead his people. And it's kind of delusions of grandeur, in my opinion. I think, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with what he feels like he must do because he, he's never embraced his Klingon side because of you just, what you just uh, referred to, Kevin. Like, he had to reserve it. But he so desperately wants to be accepted by the Klingons. But I think he has to come to a place where he, he needs to embrace his human side as well, like the, the how he was raised. And I think it's hard for him because everyone get like core, especially gives him a hard time about what he should be and not what he is. And, and what he is, is a man, a Klingon man that was raised by humans and he, he should embrace the good things and not what, you know, the bad things. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, Dave, do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think Jedzia is the one who helps him, find that more than anybody any other character he deals with is trying to reconcile who he is as a klingon who he is as a, like a starfleet officer and as a friend a husband all these other things that come a father um yeah he's he's he has a lot of like conflicting things because you know he he wants so bad to be part of his people and to you know be a klingon and be accepted and you can still he's still struggling with his decision in this episode that he sided against the Klingons. He threw away his relationship with Gowron and all that shit because he was like, no, I have to stand up for what's right and what my duty and my oaths are. And, and, uh, and I'm not going along with this shit, you know, but he's still like, no, everyone hates me now. Everyone thinks I, you know, I'm a pariah and, uh, and, you know, uh, maybe core now also thinks that. And so, you know, and, and it's also about power. And, and sort of like hero worship and this whole sword thing, which is like the what's the conflict here between Worf and Kor. There's no supernatural properties to this sword, but you'd think that there were. That it was somehow like, well, whoever holds it is wants to kill their their friends over it that, and want, want to conquer the Empire. That is what I love about this episode. Most yeah. shows would make that a plot point. It would make it... Because these are two... Worf is a beloved character. Kor is also, even though he's not a regular. So you you like both of these characters. Most people like both of these characters, and they turn on each other in the worst way. Yes. And they would normally have that be a supernatural thing, like 
the sword is causing it, but really it's just their own ambition, both of them. And right. uh, that's what I like. It, it doesn't shy away from that. Yes, and 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 it goes to show how like a piece of steel, the is more. It's the symbol of it. It's kind of like you know the Ark of the Covenant or like you know those type of things. People will go, will kill people and go to the ends of the earth to just to find something that they, they don't even know really exists. And you know, and once they do find it, what they do to keep it. And and, and we see that at the scene here, guys, where. Uh, Core is hanging off the ledge and Worf is holding him up and he tells him to drop down. There's a ledge there. And he's like, he doesn't believe him. He says he can't see it. He asks Dax if he, she sees it. She's like, no, we'll just, I don't see it, but like maybe we could just pull you up. And then they ended up pulling him up, which I was like, why quite did they easily. just... Quite easily. <laughs> yes. I, I was like, why did they just do that at the beginning? Um, you know, uh, and, and then there's this whole argument afterward about Core accuses him of wanting to kill him. And... and and this um, is the same thing though right yeah. and dax is the same thing and warp kind of goes he is old and clumsy you you know <laughs> if he had fallen it would have been his own fault yeah Warf you know? says the same thing too yeah. <laughs> right but i think what the point is i don't even think that any of them are I like kind of thinking straight especially Worf. but um they're all kind of clouded by the glory of bringing this sword to Gowron and or, the or keeping it for themselves. Like they both, they both, they both, they toy with all those ideas. Right. Yeah. I guess it would be like, what would be the equivalent? It would be like, if you were in like the, um, you in the King middle Arthur ages, Excalibur. Yeah. If you had Excalibur or if you had like the spear of destiny or something, or like something super holy religious, um, like in the crusades, if you somehow came back from the crusades with like, like the spear of destiny or like the cross itself or like the, the Holy grail. And if so, you were and, the like, onion knight and you were able to gift Daenerys Targaryen, the first of her name, um, the, yeah, um, <laughs> sorry, breaker of chains, the breaker, breaker of chains. chains. Sorry. You were able to, um, um, offer her the the seat the throne right then it would be similar to that but the temptation for you to rise up to power as well is always lurking right the klingons are obsessed with symbolism right like this yeah. like and especially yeah. with Kalis, like this one guy who was like their first warrior king who yeah. united the houses the uh, as they established in discovery now canon the 24 houses of the uh, of the of the empire right um, I feel like I always compare um, Kalis, like whenever I hear it brought up with the Klingons, I always think of Muhammad in, in Islam. But I feel like the more apt comparison is Ragnar with the Vikings. Like he's also revealed like in Iceland, they have a huge statue for Ragnar. And, you know, they are descendants of, of the Norwegian people and stuff and the, the Vikings. But like the... You know, it, it, they don't even they speak the original like Nordic language and everything. But like, again, it's like that culture. It's that raiding culture and the huge statues and songs like I, the Icelandics are known for their singing of the songs and everything like that. And, you know, the more I think about it, the more I, I, I really feel like the Klingons represent that idea more than anything. And uh yeah, I just think the bickering and the you know the survival of the fittest, all these ideas with the Klingons have merit. But at the same time, 
I think they're misguided. And I think, you know, I don't know. I, I see why it's compelling because a lot of human culture was kind of based in this idea of, you know, warrior. the strong survive, the strong rule, the, like, you know, the seas or, um, you know, in this case, Might the stars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like nowadays, especially, you know, ever since like this aired in 95 or something. And, and now, you know, this is now some 26 years later. And, and I just think even since then, I think we've kind of thought a little bit more about, I think we're more compassionate a lot of the times now. Like, I think we look, I don't know, at least I am, I think, I think we look back at this and go kind of like, ah, oh, the Klingons, you know, I just don't understand why they're so like liked by all the Federation characters. Like, you know, I think there should be a bit more scrutiny from a Dax, from, from, from a card, from, from a Cisco. There is a little bit in, in the Blood Oath episode, but not this one. Uh, so, I don't yeah, know. I I don't know. I I think I I think you you're you're I think the Klingons are not for everybody. I I think that uh I think your criticisms of them are valid. I think that they are a misguided state at least. A, you know, uh, I think that the Klingons are very diverse. I think we, there are good Klingons and bad Klingons and we, you know, but we literally have a scene where Worf and Kor are going to choke each other to the death and Dax has to break it up with a phaser. And shoots them both, <laughs> and and we kind of, I think sometimes like even Dax forgets. Like, I don't know if this is the best way to go about things, you know. Well, uh, I think Cisco. I think Cisco will dress them both down. I think when the episode, which we'll talk about later, the season where where um, where his brother shows up, Kern, you know, and and uh, and Cisco says, "I give you a lot of latitude on this Klingon shit," but. <laughs> You know, you are not on the Klingon station. You are not wearing Klingon uniforms, like so. Yeah. You know, you're not on the Klingon defense force. So you you don't ru- you, those are not the laws you are governed by here, right? And uh, in rules. And so, yeah, I think that um, different characters choose to embrace it with with more than others. And I think if you were in this world, Jeff, I think you would not. I don't think you would be a Klingon uh, file. Uh, you know. I, I would be more on the Vulcan side, even though as smug and condescending as the Vulcans are, I, I'm more about logic than I am about honor and, passion. you know, and passion. Yeah. So that, yes, I, that's kind of where I lean. I get people that lean the other way and go, no, it's about drive, live a little and, you know, have that idea. But, uh, yeah. Well, it's kind of that. The level it off. What a laugh. Uh, what a it, laugh. <laughs> I wish we had a little Bashir in this episode. I really do. He's only because at the beginning. It, yeah, he's only at the beginning. And, you know, I just wish we had a little bit of him throughout the episode because I think he would have brought a lot of um, great comments about, um, to the to the whole episode but okay so at the end here they decide to shoot it into space basically the sword because yeah dax puts it in the thing and walks away and uh core is kind of pleading with them and kind of says like this belongs to all klingons are you sure of this wolf and you know wharf says yes you know look at how this turned just you and me against each other think about what it would do to the empire garon and all his all his glory would not be able to stop 
the division that would occur, which is kind of apropos to today with with you know Trump and the symbol of him and how it's you know everything that's dividing people. Um, it, you know, I can kind of see what Moore's point there. <laughs> And, and then Coors, you know, he basically tells them you're wrong. It was our destiny to find it. It was our destiny to not only find it, but to to for it to be ours and for everyone to know it was ours. And and have all the songs and statues and everything that Core wants and everything that motivates him. And Worf and Dax say, nope, when they hit the button. <laughs> and that's that, you know? Yeah, I, I think... I, I, sorry. I love how this... Um this episode starts with glory and, and how like it's, they're going to do it for the people, but it also shows how quickly even people with good intentions, how uh, intoxicating power and righteousness can become and yeah. how, how quickly that can happen. And uh, that's, that's really, I think that the core of this episode that I, and I, I really like that. I like Yeah, that. me too. Because as much as you might have good intentions or good morals or good beliefs of what you think you should do, when you're actually faced with that moment, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to resist, especially. Uh, we kind of get that in, in like, I keep thinking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and that whole moment of when he goes through all the... the the, the penitent man must pass and all the different trials he goes through. And then he has to pick the right cup. Like I, I really, I really kind of keep thinking about that story because I think that it's very similar to this one. Um, that, that only you got to be pure of heart to be able to not resist the power of an object uh, of as much importance as the sword of Kalos. And it was obvious Kor and Worf did not have that pure of heart. But Dax did. Dax could, yeah, Dax could have. Dax is in a Klingon, so she doesn't have the same connection to it that the other two do. Uh, I, I think that it was the a mature decision, I guess, because they realized, yeah, we acted, we both acted out a character for ourselves um, and it's not worth it. So they just beam it into space. You know, I think it's, it's an admirable act. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a bit sad, you know, I couldn't help but think when they mentioned a thousand years from now, could it be discovery that comes back and brings this sword back in? Cause that's now the time period there. Stop it. They're never going to reference it because it's canon. That doesn't matter. I <laughs> I think uh, I think though uh, it, to what you were saying, Jeff, about the Klingons in general. They allude to this at the end of the episode, where they say our people aren't ready for this. They're not ready to have this. It's and not it, if they did have it by some circumstance like us, it yeah. would divide and it would it would just lead to chaos. Right. They can't handle the fact that they're not at war with the Federation, and they they need it. You know, it's like it's it's part of their their day to day life is war, and and if they don't have war, I think like this is a great commentary on kind of to me also the Americans like it is the kind of the the Vikings, but the Americans are a culture that need a war, need an enemy to be able to handle their economy and their lifestyle and and someone to hate. They need someone to hate, and and that is very much kind of what I feel like the Klingons are a metaphor as well for as well is the military industrial complex kind of 
fueling this fear. And don't forget, they're they're fighting the Klingon or the Cardassians quite a bit right now too. Like not yeah. just. The I, I think it's part of the human condition, though, to to define yourself uh, as a or like in in juxtaposition of someone else. Like we kind of define ourselves as not American, right? Like it. it I think every every culture does that, not just the states. Yeah. Yeah, the other. That's yeah. them. That's like they them over there. The yeah. And and at the end of the day, we're more similar than we are different. And we forget that a lot of the times. And and yes, even if you compare it, like if you compare a Vulcan and a Klingon, they both love their children. They both breathe the same air. They both uh, cherish their life. You know, they both want they both want good moral things usually. Um, but it's what corrupts them is usually the problem. Yeah. You know? Hey, it's okay with being American, Jeremy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being American. USA, um, USA, <laughs> USA, USA. You got him back, Jamil. Don't worry. You just go to USA. They, yeah. they love that. Yeah. They love that. <laughs> yeah. If I had my virtual background, you would love me. <laughs> but okay so i think that's it i think we should get to, to, to some fun facts though uh i'll bring up the fun facts um so guys yes what do you think yeah, I don't about know about okay who directed this episode do you have that dave who directed it? Uh, it was directed by LeVar Burden. Right. We got LeVar back. Okay. Was he, didn't he do last episode? Mm, I don't think so. Let me pull the sheet. No, he didn't. James L. Conway. Yes, we covered this last week. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Sword of Kalos. All right. It just took me a moment to pull it up and uh, bear with me. Okay. All right. We only got a few here, so this will be quick. This episode was written in an effort to more fully integrate the character of Worf into Deep Space Nine, which makes sense. All of the four season episodes to that date, with the exception of The Way of the Warrior, had been greenlit prior to the confirmation of Michael Dorn's arrival. So that's why he's like really not in a lot of the episodes, and when he is, it's kind of like, let's just shoehorn him in this scene. He gave him lines that anybody could have given, been given. Let's, let's make him more a part of the Deep Space Nine by taking him off of Deep Space Nine with only one character from Deep Space Nine <laughs> and putting him in this situation. Where he acts like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And uh, so Worf tended to be confined to the B stories of these episodes if he even figured it in them at all. The Sword of Kalos was the first show put together after Worf joined the cast as such. The producers felt it should focus on him. Which makes sense. Worf uh, makes a reference to Kor's battle with Kirk and the Organia, a reference to Errand of Mercy from 1967, where Kor and the Klingons in general first appeared. That's the first uh, appearance of them. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. The blue razor Cisco uses that Dave so much loved used to shave his uh, use he uses to shave his head and his beard with this episode is the same prop. Jordy the Ford shaved with in the next generation episode oh. Code of Honor from 1987. Oh, <laughs> so LeVar Burton he goes, Hey, hey, Avery, why don't you use this? You know, 
So yes. Holy right. Shave? I'm not detecting any shave. Okay. Jordy um, LaForge, how you doing? How you doing? Why don't you shave with this? Okay. It kind of reminds me of Jeff Probst, too. I'm thinking, I'm thinking all of the fixings. All the fixings. <laughs> don't make me go. I'm, I'm doing it now. Baked potato. I, baked potato. Mm, I can taste it. <laughs> I, I'm in. I, I have to have it now. Where is it? Baked potato. All the fixings. I can smell it. I can smell it. <laughs> Sour cream. Chives. <laughs> Wood. Fire grilled. Oh. Outback steak. Plus the brand new Outback Steakhouse Margarita, the grilled no, pineapple, pineapple Rita. Rita. <laughs> pineapple Rita. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, a certain degree of knowledge of Worf's backstory from the USN, uh, USS Enterprise D is necessary to fully understand this episode. The canon, if you will. Especially the events portrayed in the Next Generation episode Rightful Air from 1993. In that episode, the clerics of Boreth create a clone of Kalish, the unforgettable, Kalish. Kalish, the unforgettable, and try to convince the Klingon people that it is the real Kalish returned to, from Stovakor and that he must assume his post as leader of all the Klingons. However, after he is defeated in combat by Gowron, the identity of the clone is revealed, and Worf suggests that he may... Uh, he may be made into a figurehead emperor with Gowron still in control of the Klingon High Council. The clone accepts and becomes the moral leader of the Klingon people. That was what they originally were going to do in that episode? That next-gen episode? They mean? didn't do that? No, it was more like Gowron's like, I'm going to get this guy killed and Worf kind of convinces him that he's he shouldn't kill him and just make him like a figurehead, like make him like basically like a... Oh, so I said, yeah, that, that they tried to make him a... They did make him a figurehead, right? They did, but there wasn't like this, like this, this honorable combat where Kalis clone defeated Gowron. Oh, okay, gotcha. Or maybe they were gonna do that, and then they they, they decided different. Uh, okay, this episode brings together two Klingon characters, Kor and Worf, who were each groundbreaking in their own time. Kor can be considered the first Klingon char character in the entire Star Trek canon as he appeared in the first ever Klingon episode, Aaron of Mercy, and was the only Klingon in that episode with any real personality, the others being anonymous soldiers. Worf, meanwhile, was the first Klingon to be a regular character when TNG began in 1987. Finally, during the first season of TNG, Worf wore the same golden sash that Kor had worn in Aaron of Mercy before switching to his more familiar silver colored sash i love how you always do when you say core you do it like you did in star trek radio theater when you played uh jedzier dax as nicole franzel and you're like core core <laughs> oh my god core <laughs> yeah uh why are you voting me out <laughs> yeah. all right john kolakos i think kolakos. it's a Kolikos, okay, who played, who played Core in this and other Star Trek productions, is also known for playing Baltar in the original oh. Battlestar Galactica, another se uh, seminal space series. Guy is fracking Baltar. And Ronald D. Moore went on to do the reimagining. Yes, he did. So, connections there. 
maybe why? Maybe that's why, because he was like a fan of that as a kid, and he met John Colicos. 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 Okay. Uh, the Sword of Kalish was the second episode of Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine to be directed by LeVar Burton after Indiscretion, and the first to have Michael Dorn in the main role. Okay. Yeah, Indiscretion was only, what, like five episodes ago? Yeah. Uh, I guess they kind of like, yeah, I guess after TNG, they're like, LeVar, Wait, why don't you I, he, he had some free time after Next Gen wasn't on the air anymore. Yeah, Reading Rainbow, I think it was done too. Uh, okay. Uh, the Herc are also mentioned in the Star Trek Enterprise episode, Affliction. I believe that was mentioned in the comments. Uh, okay, Toral was last seen in the TNG episode Redemption 2 from 1991, where he played well, he was played by J.D. Cullum. Yes, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, Toral taunts Worf for not killing him when he had the chance, a reference to the TNG episode Redemption 2, where following the defeat of the House of Duress in the Klingon Civil War, Gowron presents the young Toral for Worf to kill in retribution for his family's crimes against Worf, who instead takes pity on Toral and spares his life, electing to let him live with his dishonor. Kind of more punishment. That's, you know, that, that's always kind of been like a, oh, actually, it, it, I kind of think of like in Django, where they're going to cut his balls off. Django. They're going to <laughs> cut his balls off, and then Samuel Jackson has that great scene. He was like, no. That's not as bad as sending him to the DeWitt Mining Company. You're going to be breaking rocks every day, all day. You know, like it's kind of that that whole argument is like that is a worse punishment than us just killing you. You know, uh, like Thomas Riker going to that uh, Cardassian camp. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Uh, okay. Core describes Dax as a joint trill of seven lives. This would indicate that Jadzia has not told him about Duran. Yeah, he, he drinks a lot too. Duran doesn't count. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, this episode is uh, partly a sequel to Blood Oath, which establishes the old friendship between Core and Dax seen in this episode, as well as Koloth and Kang being mentioned uh, here, but not but, but not seen in this episode because they're dead, are they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're dead. So how you They're say dead. Uh, Lavar Burton. This, and finally, Lavar Burton's first two directorial efforts for DS9 were both heavily inspired by classic westerns. Indiscretion was uh, uh, inspired by The Searchers from 1956, and this episode was highly inspired by The Treasure of Sierra Madre from 1948. Mm. So go give the, go give the treasures of Sierra Madre a watch. I will and see the comparisons, guys. And that is it. So let's move on to ratings, Dave. What do we got? Uh, let's get the ratings going here. All right, and coming right up, uh, the Sword of Kalis, a uh, seven point one on IMDb. Um, so just to give you some 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 guidelines here, uh, Jeff, where do you want to start with from? I want to give it, I want to give it like an eight point three. Feel like that's fair. Yeah, I'm a little lower on it. I'm gonna give it like a seven and a half. Seven forty five. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I'll give it a seven point two. 
7.5. Nine. Ooh. Oh. He's back. He's back. <laughs> he was, he was down to a two for Starship uh, Down. Uh, Where's the 10? That's why I ask. That's I thought it was four weeks of 10s he had uh, before. <laughs> yeah. I never thought it was going to end. And then, and then it went five. Like, that yeah. was like the blemish where it went down a, li a little bit. And then it went really down. Um, <laughs> starship down. It went Starship down. feelings about Star Trek. <laughs> We're climbing back up, though. Uh, and next week, Jeff, we have our man Bashir. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next week is one of my favorite episodes of uh, DS9 by far. It's going to be another high one for me. It's going to be a high one for me, too. <laughs> uh, it'll be over nine for sure. Uh, okay. So, Dave, what else do we have coming up on all of our podcasting networks here on Live Long and Podcasts and Super Mater Bros Podcasting? Ooh. We don't need no stinking matches. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so as, uh, as, as, as we were being asked earlier in the chat by, uh, by Sam, what night do you cover the original series? Sam, we cover the original series. We used to cover it on Wednesdays, but now we cover it on Mondays. And, um, and, uh, we only have three left, four left, something like that, um, of, of all the original 79 episodes. So, uh, we've done most of them. Uh, and we're going to be finishing those out over the next few weeks uh, before we will then go to an Enterprise podcast, which will be led by Jody Simpson and Adam Woodward. They're, it's going to uh, replace that one but once we hit, get all those uh, does done. But last night we talked about the Gamesters of Triskelion. Um, and uh, so if you like the original series, check out our podcast over there. Of course, Deep Space Nine on Tuesdays. And then this Thursday, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 7, along with Davin Skellhorn, from Locutors of Trek, who is a second cousin to Jeff and I out of Nova Scotia. Uh, this week's episode for Lower Decks is called "What Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. And I believe it's going to be focused on uh, Lieutenant Commander Andy Billups. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, um, and then <laughs> over on our other channel, Super Mater Brothers Podcasting. Jeff, did you know about that? You should. You're. Uh, it's. You has your name I, in it. What? Uh, what show? I don't. <laughs> to what to you refer? Super Mater Brothers Podcasting is our other channel where we talk about stuff that's not Star Trek related. And if you like oh. the stuff that's not Star Trek related too, check that out. Um, we we talk about shows like Survivor and Big Brother and Marvel, the new Marvel movies and TV shows, and uh, we've talked about Netflix, uh, like Netflix shows like Tiger King, and we've talked about fictionalized and non-fictionalized, like uh, like The Serpent. So right now, uh, just tonight, we did our draft for Survivor season forty-one. Jeff, you were there. Um, we we talked. We we previewed that entire cast, uh, which I thought was very exciting, and we did a whole draft tonight. Jamil, Jeff, um, Daryl, uh, Amanda, Jane, our friends uh, Sean and Jen, who are in our our little draft and we kind of, we talked about the entire cast. I'm really, I, I'm excited about this season of survivor uh, that's coming up. And um, I'm clearly just stalling for time as I go to bring up the, the image. There's the, there's this season's cast as drafted tonight. Exciting. Is Jeff gone? Okay. And then uh, we're talking about big brother um, season, uh, season 23. Uh, we've been talking about that for 11 weeks, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, you, Jamil, and I on, uh, well, it's usually Sundays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. We are down to the final four, and uh, we only got two weeks left of that. We're trying to do double duty with Survivor. 
And also check out our other channel called Trivial Debates, where we argue about movies, TV, sports, and more once a month on the Sunday. Uh, we got this episode coming out for this Sunday. We got Chris Seymour hosting, uh, along with Max Duda, Davin Skelhorn, and Jessica Chan uh, are all going to be competing. Uh, I, this could be fun. Uh, I'm going to be producing that. It'll be 10 a.m. on Sunday. Um, we, uh, Davin and Jessica are going to be also the panel, uh, along with myself, for Star Trek Prodigy, which we'll be covering after Star Trek Lower Decks finishes up. So I'm excited for them to get to be acquainted with one another. I think those are all our shows. Okay. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks for filling us in on everything that's coming up here on our wide variety of podcasting networks. <laughs> for all of us here at DCH 9 at 9-ish, Dave Mater, the Bajoran Workers, Kevin and Ashley Millard, and as always, co-host Jameel Robinson. We say, I'll take the sword to my grave before I give it to you. Uh, we need, we, shoot, I'm on the wrong. I'm on, okay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, thank you.